Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And folks, we are thrilled to welcome back a very special guest of Straight Up Sabres today, former Buffalo Sabres defenseman Doug Bodger, returning to the pod for the third time, I believe. Doug, welcome to Straight Up Sabres. How are you? Great. Thank you guys for having me again. Absolutely, Doug. So just to get right into it, tell us a bit about what you've been up to these days and if you're uh, keeping up with the Sabres much. Oh, yeah. I'm watching hockey all the time, watching a lot of football, watching a lot of hockey. So it's been great. Uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff with the Canuck alumni out here and doing some games and some uh, promotions in the city here in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, just um, enjoying my time right now. I'm not coaching or anything. So enjoying the time off right now and uh, watching some sports. Love that. You got a dog in the fight for the Super Bowl? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I was hoping for the Bills, guys. I was cheering. Oh, I we appreciate it. Yeah. We I appreciate up, you know, it. I was there for the four years to the Super Bowl. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Those years, yeah. I was telling people oh. about the kick that one year everybody was celebrating and missed the kick. Oh, yeah. Just rip oh, yeah. our hearts out here. Sorry, sorry to be bring that up again. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right well so i think a lot of sabers fans this year were hoping by the time the Bills season ended they'd be gearing up for a sabers playoff run at the moment it doesn't look very likely uh it's kind of a step back considering last year they were one point out this year they're on pace to finish between 10 to 15 points out of the playoffs i wanted to go back to something early in your career you might have experience with so you're drafted by the penguins for people that don't know it was the same time the same first round that mario lemieux was drafted in so a lot of expectations yeah. obviously but there was a long way to go when you got there to go from where you were to uh, being a playoff team eventually. And uh, in your, the 85, 86 season, you guys get very close. I will say for people who also might not know, you guys were in the toughest division to make the playoffs. The only division that had six teams in it at the time. Yeah. So it was a little bit tougher, uh, but very close, missed by two points. And you assume with a lot of young guys, you get a little bit better. The next year you missed by a few more points. Uh, so can you talk about what the Sabres might be feeling right now, you know, trying to thinking that maybe they almost made it and they were sure, for sure going to make the playoffs and, and now they're kind of backsliding a little bit. Can you talk about what that experience might be like for them? Yeah, it's, it's very tough. Uh, I also, you know, I watched the start of the year, they were looking good. They were right up in the top of the division and I thought, this is it, they're going. And then, you know, a couple injuries happen and you lose some guys and, you know, some goaltenders get hurt and little things like that can just turn the whole season around and, the biggest thing is you can't lose consecutive games now in this league. 
it's so tough. Back in the day, it was all mostly divisional play. So, um, again, like you say, we were fighting the Rangers and the Capitals and and uh, the Flyers. So it was really tough. I think we missed that playoffs by uh, that one year by two points. I think Toronto made it in with 50 points. I think we had like 60, 70. So, yeah. uh, you know, that playoff format has changed now, obviously. But uh, it, it's, it's very difficult. I remember those years in Pittsburgh where we – we, we were coming, you know, we were first year we were, you know, I was 18, Mario was 18. They threw us in there just to, you know, you're, you're going, we're, we're rebuilding and, you know, to come, you know, that close. And then the next year, really close. And then fall back a few years again, like injuries and setbacks and, and uh, just inconsistent play. And that, that that's a tough, it's tough to deal with. I know it's been a while since the Sabres have been in and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they're, that's what they're dying for right now. The fans are, the players you know, we're hoping it was a great start to the year and uh, there's some great young players on that team. So hopefully they can put some wins together. It's like here in Vancouver, they're just consistent. They find a way to win every game and they're not the best team out there, but they seem to just get it done in the end. So one question I did want to ask, you know, as we're talking about a lot of the exciting talent on this team, much of it is on the blue line, namely at the top of that list is Rasmus Dahlin. And yeah. with you being, uh, you know, in your career, you were such an offensive defenseman. I mean, in your eight years with the Sabres, you exceeded 45 points, half of the seasons that you were with the team four times. Um, you know, you're no stranger to, you know, being an offensively inclined defenseman. In the case of Rasmus Dahlin, that was really one of the hallmarks of why he was taken first overall. Just such an unbelievable talent, a creative playmaker with a puck on his stick. And that was, in turn, informing a lot of his play in his defensive zone as well. With Dahlin, it's been interesting, Doug, because he's kind of been on this roller coaster throughout his career where he comes in as a rookie, all offense, very exciting, thrilling then you get a little bit of a coaching change. Ralph Kruger comes to town and really tries to, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, make him something that he's not, making him play much more of a defensive-focused game. You, you, then you're losing the offense there as well, and it really just seemed like people were kind of questioning what his potential is. They end up firing Kruger. Granado comes in as the head coach, takes all the chains off and says, hey, go be the offensive defenseman we know you can be. And he has a career year last year. This year now, he's saying that he felt like, and I, we don't know whether this is at the direction of the coaching staff or just himself, but we're inclined to think maybe coaching, that he's putting much more of an emphasis on having to clean up the defensive game so much more, quote unquote, and it has seemingly kind of come at the cost of his offense and the dynamic player that he is. And so what I'm curious is, is from your experience being an offensive defenseman yourself, do you feel like for players of a, a similar stature to like you and the Rasmus Dahlins of the world and, you know, other offensive defensemen that it's better to commit to that offensive style because then it will kind of work out the rest of the defensive play because you're so dominant offensively? Or do you think there's something to him putting this extra emphasis on cleaning up some of the stuff in his own zone? I guess that just goes on who you are personally, you know, Myself, I wanted to be an all-round player. I wanted to be offensive, and I wanted them to trust me defensively. And I think that's where they're going with this. We want to play you more, but we have to trust you with the top-end players, like the top lines. And that's changed a bit now, I think, where you have your defensive guys that goes out against your top lines. But um, back in the day, we wanted to, they wanted us out there of 35 minutes, 30 minutes to play. Um, you take another guy like Phil Housley, who's a great saber, who, who, you know, really couldn't play defense, but he was the first guy up in the zone. He was the first guy back. He was yeah. so fast, but 
and you know we me and him played together for quite a, quite a couple of years and he would trust me that he got to go but I was going to stay back for him and cover him um, Rasmus is a fantastic player it may just be a, an age thing also you you gain experience you learn you, you, you learn the game better the game you feel more comfortable four or five years into the league um first two years you think well I'm offense I got to go do my thing I got to go do my thing and then you get caught and you make bad decisions it's just using your head a little bit playing smart he doesn't you don't expect him to go running around in his own end being blocking shots and killing guys you know they want him to read the ice be positionally well and jump into your holes and you know make smart decisions that's all it is and he, he doesn't have to say that well I got to play on my own end he can just be in the right position and and, and I figure that out that way. And I think a lot of those offensive guys that are all considered offensive guys, they're, they're not super in their own end, but they're just in the right place at the right time. And mm. Don't get caught or don't get beat to the deck. That, that's a huge thing. I and mean, that's just learning experience. That's just, you know, coming of age. And I, I, last year he had a great year and he's uh, he's a fantastic player. I watch him a few times when I get a chance and his, his mobility is fantastic. And, you know, he gets the puck through all the time. And I just, uh, somebody just sent me that he just passed me for uh, most consecutive point games as a Sabre. So uh, wow. <laughs> somebody just sent it to me. It was like 53, but he's got a long way to catch Housley because it's like 153. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just saw that come on the other day and I went, oh, I didn't even know that. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And he's going to be there. Hopefully he's going to be there for a long time. And hopefully he can be a leader back there and, you know, get this thing going for the team. Yeah, absolutely. So there's another guy, another young guy, and I want to go back to something you said before. You mentioned that you got thrown in right away as a rookie. You were the ninth overall pick, I believe. You got thrown in as an 18-year-old play right away, which I think in even in NHL history, it's not that usual for someone who's not a top five pick to get thrown in. Uh, but you did, and so did Zach Benson this year, who was the 13th overall pick. And I, th- you're probably familiar with him from the WHL. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, what do you think it is about his game that's allowed him to not only uh, get a chance right away as an 18 year old, but to stay up so far all season through about 50 games and, and impress a lot of people. Yeah. I, I watched him here at the prospects game last year and he, he was very noticeable. He, he gets right in there. He was, uh, he was playing like a setter. I thought I think he <laughs> Red Deer. and I went, wow, this guy's he's feisty. He, he got inside. He got in the middle. He didn't play on the outside. He went right in there and, that impressed me, and I was actually pretty surprised that he made the Sabres this year. But I mean, he scored on his first shot, I think, didn't he? Was that right? Uh, I, first... I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's he, he was good. He was good. He definitely dominated the Western League here. And, you know, you get those opportunities. And if you're consistent, the coach trusts you at different spots all over the ice. And uh, you're, you're, you're going to be fine. And he made an impression, obviously, in training camp. And, and uh, that's good. You know, we – I, I could see they want to groom the young guys and get them in there together and build a team around the same age. So, um, yeah, he's going to be a good player. I think he's, he's a, he reminds me of a bit of a Tachuk kind of guy where he's a little feisty yeah. gets in there and, and that's, that's the kind of guys you need. Those guys are really valuable. Totally. Absolutely. So I want to, do you have anything else on current Sabres right now? Actually uh, one more. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another young defenseman. So own power. He's the first overall pick, obviously he, uh, the rookie last year, a lot of people were impressed. I think he was second in Calder voting. And this year, definitely not that bad, but it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's it's not definitely linear progress, which a lot of times it isn't for a lot of players. Uh, but he also hasn't had a bad year, and he's been playing big minutes as a 21-year-old. So 
What what do you think of you? You mentioned there your first couple of years in the NHL can be tough as defenseman getting used to both. But do you uh, subscribe at all to like the idea of progress not being necessarily linear when you're a young prospect? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been watching him quite a bit, too. And, uh, you know, he was very rated high and came out of, you know, of junior, a very good player and stuff and had a great first year. And this year, I, I, his his positioning, he's been on for a lot of goals against. And I'm going, oh, wow, what's going on with him? Like, just doesn't seem to be moving his feet. And, and uh, but that's part of this emotional roller coaster game you go through is, you know, when things aren't going well, you got to pick yourself up and. And that's tough. That's difficult. But I'm sure he thought he was going to have a little more success this year. And when things don't go your way, you get scored on. It gets in your head. And, and you, you have to get yourself out of that. And, and that's up to the individual how to do it. And a lot of, you know, we had this discussion when we were coaching here. A lot of guys say, I don't have any confidence. I go, well, how do you get it? I can't give it to you. Here, take my confidence. You go, Is this going to be better? You have to earn that in your head yourself. You have to create your own confidence and feel good about yourself and relax and play your game and everything else will fall into play. So let's go back a little bit here, Doug, your career high in points was 54 and that came in the 92, 93 season. I would say among most Sabres fans, definitely. I, I think for Taylor and myself that the 92, 93 team ranks as I'm pretty confidently a top three team in, in Sabres history when it comes to just like the talent on the team um definitely in scoring and scoring for sure you had obviously in addition to yourself you had LaFontaine and Mogilney both had career years that year uh and I guess you know I, I have a couple of questions about it but just generally speaking I'd love to just hear what the experience was like being on that team such a special roster with so many incredible players future hall of fame players i think there was i, I want to say five altogether who were on that team um I, I have a couple of specific questions about it but first i just love to hear what that experience was, was like and what made that 92 93 team so special uh we just had a good mix of players we had say well mcgillney and lafontaine were clicking that year they were just on fire our power play we we knew we were gonna score we knew we went out there we're going we got this <laughs> And John Tortorella was running our power play. And we were, we knew we were going to get it. We had all the tools. We had a guy on the left, a guy on the right, guy in front, you know. Um, it was just clicking. And we were so confident. We just, we went into games going, we're going to win this one. Um, and I don't know if that year it was, a few, did we get fear that year? Yeah. Yeah. yeah middle that of that one. Yeah. For Andrichuk. So we lost Dave, which was a big loss for fear. And we Hasek was our backup goalie. <laughs> so <laughs> not too shabby. <laughs> not too shabby. But the guys like Bob Sweeney and, and Yuri Himalov and Randy Wood and, and Wayne Presley, those guys were grinding guys that could score and do the job when the other the top line uh, you know, was being checked or had troubles or weren't having a great day. We had a great depth and those guys were, you know, they weren't, you know, big name players, but the third and fourth line guys are so huge going down that stretch into the playoffs where uh, that's what I look at a, a team like Vancouver here, their, their third and fourth line scoring all the time. And, yeah. and their first lines, you know, not doing some, some nights. So that balance was huge. And we had that in, 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 in 92, 93. And the, unfortunately going against, uh, we swept Boston that year, four straight with a Mayday goal. And then, uh, we went and went to Montreal and they, they beat us twice in overtime, I think. And I, I tell everybody if we, I think Alex was out, I think he broke his ankle 
And Patty his knee was bad. So I said to everybody, we would have beat them for sure three if we had everybody healthy. They're going, no, you wouldn't. Yes, we would. We were better than them. We were a better team. Totally. Just yeah. to give a little context to that too. So you guys that season had 95 power play goals and the most ever is 119. So you guys were not yeah. far behind from one of the yeah. best power play teams ever. So one question that I want to ask, it might be a weird one. I don't know if this is going to be, you know, tough or not, but comparing, you know, obviously different eras when you talk about those like early nineties to where the league is now. Um, but the one thing that can definitely be said is that scoring uh, at that time was at a premium as is the case now. But what I'm wondering relative to that 92, 93 team, you know, obviously you guys came so close and I think it's a team that again, like for me, I think 92, 93 is like pretty much right behind the, obviously the cup team in 98, 99, and then right. 05-06, uh where they lose the Carolina. But if you could take, one player and obviously i know like Connor mcdavid is like the easy choice here but like if you could take one player from today's nhl that you think would have perfectly fit a role that was needed on that 92 93 team to get you over the hump is there somebody that comes to mind i think our only depth problem was in defense i don't want to say they weren't bad players but i think we needed a little more there than we had um can't remember the whole roster. Uh, Keith Keith Carney, maybe Kenny Sutton um, uh, was on that team. I think if we had a, a, a better four-five D-man, uh, I think that would have really helped big time. I think up front we were great. Like Alex and Patty were gone. They like, they were dominating, yeah. especially in that small small rank. You know, I, I don't know how they still did it. But yeah. they were pretty fast, and there was no room out there. But but I think those other guys like Yuri and. Sweeney guys that weren't great skaters were great there because they were always in good position and good, strong guys. And, and uh, yeah, I think the depth on D was really our, 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 our I, and I can't remember the roster, so I'm not going to cut anybody down, but uh, I think if we had a little more depth there at, at that position, I think we would have, uh, would have been better off. So I wonder too, with that team, cause you mentioned the trade there, uh, Andrew Chuck in a first for Grant Fuhr, but Hashik was the backup in his first year in Buffalo but nobody knew he was Hashik. I mean, if they did, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chicago wouldn't have traded him. Yeah, uh, right. Is there kind of a, uh, did you feel it all after the fact? Like, wow, if we, they could have just started Hashik and kept Andrew Chuck, Chuck in the first round pick, or was oh, he just not ready by that point? That would have been huge, really. If we would have had <laughs> Howard Chuck and Andrew Chuck. Ooh, yeah. like, like, you know, wow, you know, and, and Hasek in goal. I always think about that. It's just really, <laughs> We lost Dave. Dave Anacek was a great player, man. Big man, could score. You know, not the greatest skater, but Hall of Famer. Um, that guy was very valuable to our team there. And we, when we lost him, it was tough. But you, you know, Muck was really big. Muckler was really big on getting Grant in because uh, I think Poopa went down or uh, was not. You know, broke his arm or wasn't playing as great. And we really having trouble there in net, but. Uh, um, maybe, there, maybe there's a guy we should have filled in with. Maybe we should have put Hasek in. Who should we have got? We should have put Dom in. What were they thinking? <laughs> it's actually, I'm, I'm realizing now too, it's kind of crazy to think that that season you make the trade for Fuhrer. And of course it's, you know, this veteran presence. And obviously this is just more of circumstance for Hasek's career. But Grant Fuhrer was 30 years old and Hasek was 28 at the time. 
I feel yeah. like for a long time, I always felt there was so much more of a discrepancy in the age between the two of those guys. But yeah. of course, you know, Hasha came over late, had a bit of a later start to his career and fear at that point had punched his ticket to the hall of fame. So yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I know Dom, Dom was a lot older. I remember, um, I remember seeing him in the world championships and uh, just coming to watch a game and he was, he was uh, kneeling down during the play. I go, the heck's this goalie doing <laughs> the play was at the other end he was on his knees resting i go i've never seen this before so that was dom that was dom that was his style so i want to ask you because you bring up the world championships there you played in three of the world championships and you won silver in 1996 which i believe the same year you also were named the top defenseman for canada um would love to just hear your experience there and, and what that experience was like you know on the road to winning that silver medal and also from that team or really any of the teams you played on an in international play, who was your favorite teammate or really wowed you in those tournaments? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah. The experience was, was fantastic. You know, um, losing in the first round a few times in Buffalo, it was kind of, I, I kind of thought of it as my extension to a playoff round. When I got to go the distance, I want to be ready. And I don't want to be in the first round to lose, 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 and then not be yep. ready for another three rounds. So that was kind of my extended season where I wanted to keep playing and I wanted to keep going into April, May, even though it wasn't the Stanley cup, but it was something, but it's, it, it was so much fun. It changed from the eighties because we really didn't care. <laughs> it was a vacation for us, but team Canada team national team got pretty serious about it because it was big money for us. So we had to actually smarten up and behave ourselves. Um, yeah, what a what a great that that year we went silver. I think it was Broder and Curtis Joseph. Curtis Joseph were our goaltender, so we were great there. Hell and of a team. Yeah, Stevie Thomas. I remember Gary Galley was my partner. I think Ray Ferrero, Paul Correa, and that's one of the guys that impressed me that much in that that trip was Paul Correa. Like how good he was, how fast he was, and you know what? When he got a chance to score, he was in the net every time. Oh yeah. Yeah. He must've been like pretty close to a rookie then. Right. And yeah, understand? he was probably only a second or third year, very shy guy, very quiet guy. Um, just kept to himself, hated the press and hated the autograph thing. He just <laughs> that bothered him. Right. He didn't think he was that special. And the, the fans were drumming Paul Karaya. They're banging their drums. And, <laughs> wow. yeah, he had a, he had a great, we had a shootout there. And, and uh, I remember that Ferrero scored, and I think Paul went in to win it. And he just goes, yeah, no problem. I'll go in there. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm going, oh, my God. Do you want to shoot? And I go, no, I got no chance. <laughs> all I got is a slap shot. So that's all I got. So, yeah, pretty uh, exciting. It's always good to go over there and meet new guys. And, you know, they're all great guys, and we all get along. And Once the team gelled after a few weeks, you know, week into it, we, we kept rolling because we were used to playing three or four games a night, and all the European teams are played once a week. So, they were getting tired and we were just rolling. So it was always fun to get to the finals there. And that, that game against, I think it was the Czechs games. Um, yeah. The final game was like four or three or something, but just exhausted after that going, Oh my God, this it was a month over there. Just continuously going, living in hotels. So, uh, but it was all fun. It was all great memories and, uh, you know, wouldn't trade it. Incredible. Yeah, so another person uh, wanted to mention, you mentioned him already, but with the 92-93 team, like Brendan said, there was five Hall of Famers. There are a lot of people out there that think there should be a sixth in Alex McGillney. He's every year comes up, and I don't know if he's been eligible for almost a decade now, and and people feel that because of a combination of his goals and total points in the NHL and I mean, how high his peak was as a player, with him being the first player to defect that he belongs in the Hall of Fame, 
Uh, do you agree with that? Do you do you kind of think he's a Hall of Famer as well? Oh, totally. But we had this discussion here a while ago at, with some of the Canuck guys because he played here. I don't think he wants it. Really? I bet you he declined. That's that's Alex, right? Like, don't make a fuss about me. And I, I, I'm not. I don't know for sure. I know his personality quite a bit, and I don't think he really cares. That you no, know, that's <laughs> that. That's really not what I'm. What I'm here for. Great honor, but thank you very much. But no thanks. And uh, that's Alex. You know, that's the way he was. Like he, uh, you know, he is. At one time, we were. He was in his second year in the league, and he goes, "What's the Stanley Cup? I, all I know is the Olympics." That's what, that's oh, wow. when the Olympics, I, I don't even know what the Stanley cup is. He was so far in Russia to the, to the East. He was almost in China. He said, told me, so that's where he grew up. And it, yeah. it was like a seven hour flight to, to Moscow from his split from where he oh. lives. So, so all he knew was the Olympics. Right. And he didn't even know much about the Stanley cup until he came over here. And, and uh, so I don't, I, I, I really, we really believe that. I don't think Alex wants to. And the same with, <laughs> It seems to be the same with Bure here. He doesn't really seem to want mm. to be part of the Canuck alumni here, and that's his choice. That's whatever he he decides. He came out, you know, you know, to you know when Gino, when Gino died last year, and I think he, I'm not sure if he came out or not, but they were good buddies. But uh, um, not much to do with the Canuck organization, but that's okay. That's the way guys feel, and I really, we really believe that Alex says no, thank you. I'm okay. I'll just stay home. <laughs> that's the that way is- he was. That is something that comes up every time when there's a lot of people, you know, that are like, how is he not a Hall of Famer? There's people that say, well, he wouldn't come. And that Hall of Fame considers that, I guess, yeah. when making the consideration uh, that he, you know, if he's not going to come anyway, then I guess we'll just move on. Yeah. And like someone we'll just else. Move on. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You score 76 in one year, you should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask Doug, I think what's really interesting about your career, you, you break in, uh, in 84, 85, and you ended up, uh, retiring from the NHL after the 99, 2000 season. Um, the league changed a lot during that time frame, that like, uh, 15, 16 year period there. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I feel like now in the present, you're able, you know, for all of us, we're able to to look back and and kind of see those changes and when the league was starting to shift. And I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, you know, were you kind of realizing a lot of those shifts in real time in terms of like scoring, I think is probably the biggest example, how it was fluctuating and um, obviously took a dip in your career, like league wide. Was that something that you kind of were like conscious of and noticing that the game was changing and the style of play was changing a lot? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a look back now. And like we had a two line pass back in the day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that opened up the game a lot more and the penalties, like I'm looking, you watch a game in the eighties and I'm going, Oh, that's a penalty. Well, that's a penalty. <laughs> that's a penalty. You now we used to cheat and hold guys sticks and didn't get caught. The biggest thing there I think was refereeing. If the ref didn't see it, he didn't call it. But when he turned his back, guys were whacking guys and punching guys, and the linesman could not call a penalty back. So you oh. got away with a lot of stuff. They could not call it. It was in the rules. So that changed everything big time, where now there's a bunch of eyes on now, video cameras. I'm sure there was goals that were in that probably shouldn't have been in and goals that were in that maybe – should you know were disallowed and um that's part of the the part of the game has changed the rules and uh, you know I, I remember we used to i was we retired we'd go around the net and just fire it in the stands because i wanted to get off now <laughs> now it's now it's a penalty 
Right. Rural, right. It's, it makes sense. Right. So uh, um, those the little things that tweak the game up to sp- and speed it up, like it's so much faster now. You know, Gary Bettman's, you know, you know, he's a smart man. He goes, let's get this game going. Let's move it. You know, you put your foot on the puck and, and the guy blows the whistle for a face off, you know, freeze it against the boards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, all, all those kind of things. Yeah. Very, very different. Um, you know, uh, some of the players back in the 80s probably would not be able to play today. Uh, there wasn't as many Europeans. You know, there was a few Swedes. It wasn't well, Alex was the first Russian to come over. Um, there was a couple of Finns, not a lot. You know, Czechs weren't allowed to come over. That's changed to a world game now. And those yeah. guys, some of those guys in the '80s, with their lang skates, there's no way they could have been able to make it. Right. Yeah. So, probably not even as many Americans, right? Because I don't, if I'm not uh, mistaken, there wasn't an American elected to the Hall of Fame till the early 2000s. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, there wasn't. Uh, a lot. There wasn't wow, a lot. good catch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a few came in, but not a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that 1980 changed everything, right? Yeah, yeah right, like, right. Was Americans, yeah. Well, what's going on there? So, yeah, it's it's yeah. Weird. My, my brother told me that uh, Vancouver team has two Canadians on the team. The rest are Swedes and a lot of U.S. guys. Wow, oh, I didn't even. Yeah, yeah that's wild. that's true. I mean, Patterson, yeah. uh, Swede, and then American Passer, yeah. Quinn Hughes. Yeah, cool. uh, Hughes. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah. So actually, Doug, you know, us talking about this, that actually does bring up another question to mind. Given, you know, how the game was when you were playing and, and compared to how it is now, I guess as a two-parter, is there any components of the game from when you were in the league that you wish were more present in the league now? And then vice versa, is there anything with how the league is, how the game is played, how the league is now that you wish was the case when you were playing? Hmm. Oh, good question. Um, I think the penalty thing was probably the biggest one. The whole yeah. thing. You could drag a guy. I used to have marks on my arms, like from guys hooking you, and now you can't do that anymore. Um, um, a lot of that, a lot of the play in front of the net, I don't like. I, I think the rule is you can't block the guy out anymore. Now the guy stands in front of the goalie, can't see it. You know, yeah. Dom used to say, "I must see, I must see, I must see," and we push. <laughs> guys out of the way so we could st- he, was, he would stop it and i see it again i was talking to kelly rudy on hockey night canada and i go why, why don't they let the goalie see they're so good they can stop <laughs> it from the blue line but apparently you're not allowed to do that so that's one thing that we were you know guys used to just get abused in front of the net like they used to get crushed in the right place and um that that was always fun to do but uh now <laughs> you can't do it so there's there's a comparison i guess but uh but we had wood sticks, so they would just crack. They would, yeah. <laughs> and that bothers me too when they slash a the guy's stick. And that's I'm old school. That that's a penalty. I go, well, hold on to your stick. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, my first training camp, I'm standing at the center line, and my stick goes flying out of my hand. Pat Boutet hits it out of my hand. He goes, hold on to your stick, you rookie. Oh my <laughs> god. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had to take, I had to grip my stick a little harder. Yep. <laughs> That's how I learned. So yeah, yeah. It's just it's so hard to compare those two things, but uh, I think it's better for the game. The fans enjoy it more. It's it's faster. It goes quicker. Not as many whistles, and and um, I think on that thing would would be better if that was implemented back in the day. I think it would be a lot better. Where where games got so long and and uh, you know so many whistles, and now there's there wasn't any TV timeouts back then because none of the games were on TV. So. Um, um, that that's a, that was a big thing. That was a big thing for Ray Bork because he never left the ice. 
So it was great when TV time out because he could take a rest, but they said, get back out there. <laughs> he oh, would play man. 45 minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah. So speaking of changes, I think it's interesting how the NHL has changed over time because right now you're talking about expanding again. There's been two expansions in the past seven years, and there might be two more in the future, or you might get a team moving. We'll see what happens in Arizona. Uh, but these changes aren't consistent uh, at all. Uh, you grew up in the 70s. Uh, I'm assuming you're a big hockey fan back then. A ton yeah. changed rapidly. Teams were getting added all the time. Teams were going bankrupt. Teams were moving or merging. Uh, and then the 80s, uh, the beginning of the 80s, I'm sure you were playing juniors at that point. And then obviously you're in the NHL for the second half. Not a lot changed in the 80s, really much at all. The, one of the only big things that changed was Atlanta moving to Calgary. Uh, and then the nineties come along and that's a huge period of change. So by 1990, you're a NHL veteran. Uh, and by 2000, that's kind of the end of your career. But if you look at everything that happens in between those bookends, it's crazy. The NHL adds nine teams. They go from 21 to 30 and then three other teams move. So by 2000, there's 30 teams in the league 12 years ago, or sorry, 10 years ago, 12 of those teams weren't playing in their cities. Meanwhile, pretty much every team, added a new uniform or changed the uniforms <laughs> and almost every team, the existing team got a new arena. So by the time you're playing in 2000, not only are there 12 new cities, but there's probably 25 new uniforms and 20 new arenas. So, and and that's on top of obviously the entire playing style change with all the scoring going down and all that. So how strange was that? Or did you notice that slowly over time when that was happening, you just look around and being like, this is a wholly different league that I, I came into. You can see it coming, especially in the U.S. You know, Canada, well, you know, hockey, hockey, but you know, um, the growth in in the southern states was huge. And Tampa came in. I remember we were playing in some convention center arena that Phil Esposito had gotten, and it was we were doing our sticks outside, like we, there was no room in a dressing room, and some of these arenas, and they were just trying to push it. And I remember back in the in the eighties where where when the the meetings came up with the players association that the WHA was a big in the seventies was the mm -hmm. competition and they took on Hartford, Quebec and Edmonton and Quebec and uh, Quebec moves Colorado, Hartford moves Carolina and the only team that stays is Edmonton because they're a big Wayne Gretzky's on the team and they're winning. Yeah. And Winnipeg so, too, right? Winnipeg moved. Winnipeg, Winnipeg moved, yeah, right. Yeah, Winnipeg moved, yeah. So all the WHA teams that were the competition, they, the league just said, we want them out. Keep Edmonton, which was really, really strange to me. I didn't even think of that. But get rid of those other teams, small market. We want big market. We want money. We want to make you guys money. Gary I mean, he's a smart man, right? He Owners, hey, we, here's what we're going to do. Here's my plan. And it worked. You could see it coming. And we had meetings with our players. And Bob Goodnow was our leader. And he said, guys, this is what's going to happen. This is you're going to have this guy's here paying big money. You're going to have this guy's and you're going to have the bottom guys. It was all coming. You could all see it coming. And um, with, with the, with the, even with the, with the expansion teams and I, the games was growing so much down there. It got big time. And then the TV exposure was huge. And, and these people that had never seen hockey, I played in San Jose and I was playing with my, my kid was there and I had another dad I was talking to. And he says, Boy, I wish I had this game when I grew up. We never played. Wow. We had baseball. Yeah. We couldn't play hockey. And he puts his kid out there. He goes, this is awesome. And the, we were in last place in San Jose. And the fans are right on top. You sold out every game. We're in dead last. They got a, a wristband to line up to get a ticket. 
Wow. Uh, this was new, this was new to them, and San something San Francisco uh, didn't have was a hockey team. So San Jose supported that team big time, and we were terrible. We were dead last, and every every time, and but they're they were right on top of you, like they could see you right there. Not like football or baseball, where you're a little bit far away, and and basketball you're there too. But obviously, this was a fast moving game and banging the glass, and it just it, you could just see it everybody going wow this is unbelievable and it just took off and i i see it but well even look what happened with vegas that's whoever thought that would happen like yeah. you know <laughs> like, you were an loudest sports team in vegas and all of a sudden here we go and and um you now everybody hey i want a piece of that i want a piece of that well the franchise fee is 800 million we go no problem let's yeah. do it <laughs> yeah absolutely oh yeah. one thing i wanted to mention before brendan gets to another question is I just wanted to let the listeners know this. I'm sure you probably know, but the convention center you mentioned in Tampa Bay that you guys played in for yeah. their, their current arena uh, eventually became the place where the Rays played, the Tampa Bay Rays when they got a team. And it is Great. still where they play more than a quarter oh, century yeah. later, wow. which is yeah. kind of crazy. If you're ever I there, you're that, right. I played in that, that arena. it was a baseball park, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, well, yeah. It was like, uh, it was, so it was a convention center originally. And yeah, then, yeah. You know, when the lightning renew, obviously that's when you played there. That the yeah. Rays came in '98. So if you ever go there, I was there a couple of years ago. You'd say ah, it doesn't look like it was built for baseball. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was a convention center. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, it was. It was some places there. We every time I went to Tampa, there's a new rink. Like there's four or five of them there, I think. And then one year we ended up in the in the big baseball park. And the walk from there to the rink was about a mile. Oh my <laughs> because god! Because the changers were so far away. Because oh. <laughs> it was a baseball field, it was like coming from center field all the way to home plate. Oh, and man. then they had to block out the upper deck, and yeah, it was crazy <laughs> down there. But and look where they're at now, right? Let's so yeah, good. Oh, yeah. And in Florida, you know, Florida, we were downtown Miami. That rink was dangerous and not in a good area. And, uh, you know, going from the, the rat growing on the ice with Melon B and that, that was the years that they went to the finals. And then then they moved this rink way out in the middle of nowhere, but they're doing good now. So that's good to see. And I, you, know, you never know with these franchises, even like Arizona, everybody says, well, get rid of them. But Arizona is the seventh biggest city in the U.S. And there's a lot of money there. And Bettman says, no, we're not moving this team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's exactly why you hear about Atlanta again. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. A big city, but just didn't go well. Huh? Yeah. I think mm -hmm. now with the TV, I think it may change. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm curious to see. I feel like it, it's, I don't know. I just have a feeling that if they do go back to Atlanta, it's going to stick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope so. It's a big city. It's gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was kind yeah. of extenuating of circumstances when they left. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 It was bad when they left. So, Doug, just to kind of a, a, a fun follow-up to Taylor's last question, personal one here. You played for six different franchises throughout your career. Buffalo, Pittsburgh, San Jose, the Devils, L.A., and Vancouver. As Taylor had mentioned in his question, it was during a time where there was a lot of change, and particularly with jerseys. And some would say, Doug, that your career kind of was right in that sweet spot of the all-time best jersey era, where there was just... So much creativity. Jerseys were were fun, some of which were very, very ugly, but had a lot of character. Whereas now I feel like there's a lot of jerseys. A design of jerseys are a lot more simplistic. So what I'm wondering, though, from your career, did you have a favorite jersey, either home or away for a particular team, or it could have been like a throwback one? Um, funny, yeah, we, 
we were thinking about this the other day and, and it came up like when I was in Pittsburgh, my dad was trying to find a jersey. Like he wanted to buy one. He couldn't find one. Nobody, he couldn't find a jersey anywhere. He wanted wow. a Mario jersey. We, we end up finding one somewhere downtown. And then all of a sudden, what happens is the sharks come in with that teal color and they're selling jerseys like crazy. And all the other teams are going, hey, we got to get a Bombas. Why aren't we selling jerseys? Yeah. I think they did millions of dollars in jersey sales. And I think that was one of my favorite that shark biting the stick with oh. the teal. And we skated out of the shark head and the steam was coming down. I go, this is unbelievable. This is awesome. You know, and I loved all the, the saber when they brought it back. I did not play for the red and black. I was one. gonna say, I just checked. Yeah. You left, you left the, yeah. like, the last year of blue and gold. My, my yeah, dad. yeah, yeah. So I missed it, but uh I saw it come in because because Ted was the coach, Ted Nolan, and I got traded. And then I saw the other one come in. I go, oh no, it doesn't look right. And, oh, of course, they went on to well, the finals with the jersey, but I'm so glad they brought it back and, and yeah. the blue. It's it's and everybody around here is going, wow, what was that other jersey? Those I love those blue jerseys <laughs> with the stripes. So, so it's pretty cool. And then uh Devils uh, Lou wouldn't change anything if he tried. Yeah, there's no way you're changing anything with Lamarello. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Um, and then, yeah. Um Buffalo Pittsburgh. I was just a penguin one. Um yeah, and then uh yeah, LA was the was a different logo was the the, the lion with the kings on it was the purple and silver and yeah. color, right? So that was pretty good. I still have a jersey for that too. And then Vancouver was the old uh, old whale because it was Orca Bay. Yep. And now they gone back to the old one, which is awesome, and the old skate, which is which is great with the fans here. It's it's so good. But, oh yeah, Vancouver yeah. I think is maybe like easily top five favorite jerseys. Like I, I feel yeah, like yeah. I love every iteration of the yeah. jerseys. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's so good right now. They're so so clean and is there, it's looking great. Totally. And, uh, haven't seen the double V's come back yet in a while, but oh, hopefully not. Break them out. Come on. That's what I mean. The ugly ones. Oh, Bring them back. They're horrible. They're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like everybody's got a marketing third jersey now, and I get it. That's the way it is, and uh, that's, that's, that's sales and money. And I think the Sharks have really started that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Definitely, yeah. So just real quick, let's take a little break and hear a word from our sponsors. Uh, DraftKings, looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. So obviously, big game is coming up. It's just over a week away. One thing to mention, the line, DraftKings has it set as minus 2 for San Francisco. So I guess you got to decide out there you're part of the Purdy posse or... Are you going to ride with the Chiefs? What do you think? Uh, regardless of how you feel, you got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now to bet on it and use code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner at Super Bowl 58 with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. 467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age will vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, we're back. 
So another question I had, uh, you mentioned Vancouver, obviously former player, big with the alumni there, and you're out there now. What a year they're having. Um, they coming into this year for people who don't, you know, keep up as much with the Western conference, Vancouver had missed the playoffs. I believe, I think it's nine of the last 11 seasons or something like that. They haven't advanced in the playoffs since I think 2011. So it's been quite a while. And then they didn't just get good. They got insanely good. And now, now it's not a question if they're going to make the playoffs or not. And, and now it's, it seems like they're pretty much for sure going to be first or second in the Pacific between Vancouver and Edmonton. So having watched them and being as close to them as you are, do you think that this is a, a Stanley cup contender? Is that a possibility? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, last year <laughs> we were saying there's no way, but <laughs> all of a sudden, like, uh, and, and what I, I see and I realize is, uh, Adam foot is a D coach and, and, uh, Gonchar's here too, obviously. And, and they really tightened it up in that area. And you got a great goaltender at that. Um, what a bounce a back years, year he's had. Yeah. A couple of years past they're out of position and out sliding and diving and giving up two on ones and seem to be, and, and talk, obviously talks, uh, you know, talk knows what pocket knows what he's doing. He's been around for a while. And, um, it's just a li- little tweaking, a little positioning and they're, sticks down and taking away lanes it's it's so much more noticeable their power play is fantastic um you know besser had a tough year last year he lost his father but uh seemed to be coming out of it this year and and that was a tough year for him last year but yeah they're just clicking right now and their fourth line uh you know is uh you know joshua and, and uh, guy from arizona there they got and he they're scoring for him and, and you know bluger and Suter, Pierce yep. Suter, these guys are putting in goals. They're going, who is this guy scoring? And uh, it's just that they're just got everybody rolling right now. And and the pocket's not letting them off the hook. You go, hey, guys, we're not done yet. This is a big thing. And and uh, it's great to see around here because everybody was going was right off. And no way this is going to happen. So I'm still cheering for Vancouver or Buffalo to win the cup. Two teams that came in in 1970 yes. that haven't won the cup. There we yeah. go. There <laughs> we go. Comes in a four years, two years and wins the cup. So. <laughs> <laughs> Setting for us Sabres, uh, Canuck fans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God. The curse of 70. <laughs> I know, right? It, all right, listen, Vancouver can break it this year and then we'll win it yeah. next year. <laughs> Perfect. That'd, be, that'd make me happy. That'd make me happy. <laughs> oh, man. So, so Doug, we've talked a lot about uh, the guys you've, you've played with throughout your career, both, you know, in the NHL and then as well as in the international level. A lot of the conversation we've had has been about forwards. You know, obviously you have Lemieux in, in Pittsburgh, Mogilny and LaFontaine, um in, in buffalo uh then we're talking about like paul korea ray ferraro guys on like the canadian team but talking about a, in terms of the d groups that you played in did you in your career have uh a favorite partner or a, a d partner that you were like wow like this guy we really bring out the best in each other we complement each other's games really well and you just both kind of knew it clicked yeah, I had so many of them that was the thing because i think the coaching staff trusted me so i got all the rookies you know like Greg Browns and the and Philip Boucher's and Keith Carney's and take them with him. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> carry you. So I always had that role of trying to watch my partner. And when me and Phil played Housley played together, it was, you know, I think we drove the coaching staff crazy because it'd be a two on one. I'd throw it over and we'd score and it would be my defense partner, Phil Housley. 
and Jordan Van Boxman are going, there's two defensemen on a two-on-one. What's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, He'll be the first guy back, so it was okay. It was fast enough. But, uh, yeah, so many guys. And, wow, I mean, started off with Ruddy Buskis in Pittsburgh and a tough guy took care of me and Momantha. And, holy Jesus, so many guys. It's just really didn't have one guy that we 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 uh, we spent you know, that much time together. So, uh with all trades and teams moving around, it was so hard. But I have to say, the best defensive core I was played with was um, was New Jersey, it was Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, Lyle Odeline, uh, myself, Kevin Dean, and uh, Bom- uh, Brad Bombardier, and Sheldon Surrey was my partner there for a while. Wow. He was just a rookie and just coming into the league, and he was my partner for a while. I was quite the uh, Ken Danico. I forgot him. There's another guy, but so quite the D on New Jersey. There, I go. Wow, you got the best goalie in the league behind you, and look at these guys in front of you. So um, that yeah. that was pretty impressive. Impressive uh, defensive core, really. And then, you know, you get to you, know, you spend eight years in Buffalo, but I think I went must have went through 10, 12 partners, and then because of all the switches and the moves, and then you go to other teams, and you're only there for a couple of years, and you move on, but. Todd Gill was one of my favorite partners. We were in San Jose together, and uh, we had a great time together. We read off each other, um, you know, reverses and talk, and we, we, we seemed to click together pretty good in San Jose. We uh, you know, didn't make it that well there, but uh, it was a great place to play. That's another team, too. A lot of names on. I'm just going through here. I mean, Bobby Holik, Scott Niedermeyer, Doug Gilmore, yeah. <laughs> Andrew Truck is with you there, Patrick yeah, Aliash, yeah. Peter Sikora, Brian Rolston, Scott Stevens, Jason Arnott, Bill Guerin. Yeah, Sheldon Surrey, Brendan Morrison. Wow, this is that team was deep. I think Mo, I think Mo was a scratch. I don't think he could make the lineup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Let's see how many games. Where did I just have him? Uh, yeah, he only only played uh, eleven games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just nine coming points in though. Nine game. points in eleven games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that team was uh, when I got traded there. I played through the season uh, from San Jose. Uh, you know, obviously, I was really happy in San Jose. I'm from the West and. And a great place to play, a great city. But oh, and then I got to go to New Jersey. But I'm hold on, I'm in last place and going to the first place team. So uh, that's not a bad thing. And yeah. that team was stacked. I don't win. And then we go wow. to the playoffs against Ottawa. And we lose in the first round to Daniel Elfordson and, and Yashin. And uh, nobody saw that coming. So that was very disappointing because I thought, hey, this is my chance to go far. And, and uh, yeah, it was a good team. So I, I actually want to ask a, a quick follow-up with regard to something you said there. You had pointed out that throughout your career, you had the opportunity to play with a lot of younger guys because of the way that your coaches leaned on you and not necessarily just limiting it to partners, but was there anybody in your career that when they came in as a rookie that you just like knew right away, like, wow, this guy is going to be special. And then they ended up turning out to have that kind of a career. Yeah, one forward in San Jose. We watched him as a seventeen-year-old. I don't know if you can remember who he is. Would it be Marlo? He wasn't even Patrick Marlo. He wasn't even eighteen yet. We were oh, me wow. and Todd watching a rookie camp. And go, look at this guy. He's good. wow. And his birthday was in September, October. We turned eighteen. <laughs> he made the team that year, and and just a farm boy from Saskatchewan had no idea where San Francisco <laughs> was or San Jose. He wanted to buy, can I buy a Corvette? I really like Corvette. Oh yeah, Patrick, you'll probably be able to buy a Corvette. Oh, Kelly, Kelly Rudy took him in and uh, what a super kid. 
and you know, great kid, great speed, great player, humble guy. And uh, yeah, he was a he was the one player that I we knew right away went, wow, this kid's gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah, wow, that's crazy. I mean, he must be one of the only guys he was playing at 17, and then he was playing when he was what, like 43? Yeah, he was playing until three years ago, just about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good, good career. <laughs> so, with you mentioning all these guys you played with throughout your career and and even in world championships, it it got me thinking because there's a lot of guys that went into coach, a lot of guys that went on to be a GM. Uh, you obviously just uh, you mentioned Ray Ferraro earlier. He's obviously on TV. So yeah. when guys are playing, especially as they get a little bit farther along in their career, their late twenties, early thirties, can you start to see that kind of post-career type thing developing can you see guys that are going to go into coaching scouting front office maybe media or does that kind of surprise you sometimes who goes into what yeah yeah no yeah it's it's surprising some guys get into management i didn't think billy Gearing wanted to be a general manager because uh, he didn't like lou lamorello so and <laughs> 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 then he's a gm all of a sudden so yeah, and you might have to guy. deal with them. They're both still cheap. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I, I never wanted to be the coach because I didn't really like most of my coaches. <laughs> <laughs> but I, then I got into it, you know, helping kids out and teaching them and stuff, and I really enjoyed that. But it's really funny. And, and the talkers, Ray was a talker. Greg um, Simpson was a talker. Gary Galley was a talker. They're all in Hockey Night Canada here. So those guys got to be on that role, which uh, is so much, you know, I can see it coming, but uh, – yeah, you never know. Some guys just disappear and don't want any part of it, and some guys get involved. And um, I stayed away for a while. I lost a lot of contacts. I probably should have been more involved in the game more and kept contacts with those guys. But uh, that's the way it is, and uh, I just needed a break out of that. And, uh, you know, you kind of go at the end of your career, you go, well, I've been doing hockey all my life. I want to do something else. And then you go on to something else, and then you go, this is all I know. <laughs> yeah oh sure so, yeah so you, it's it's that learning experience where you try to do something different you go, oh, i gotta do something different i gotta do the rest of my life and then you go do something else and you go wow i don't boy all i know is the game i've been doing it since i was you know 10 years old sure so um so he's trying to get back into it and i did get back into some coaching a bit and really enjoyed it travel out west here in the western league is not good it's a lot of bus riding and uh too old for that now so yeah i can't, oh, can't handle that but uh, i really enjoyed it it was, it was a lot of fun and um you know just getting kids but the game has changed so much and that the computer era and what their video they're doing now we didn't have any of that so it's uh it's very very different yeah so when you retired you let 2000 your last year did you make a conscious decision to retire or was it a matter of maybe there was no one that you wanted to go to that wanted to sign you, or maybe someone wanted you to do a, a PTO or two-way deal or something, or did you just say, I'm done, I've done enough? Well, pretty much out of L.A., we was, there was uh, three or four of us, Russ Corno, me and Ray Ferrero, Gary Galley, and we all said, well, we're at, this is probably it. We didn't make the playoffs. We were all pretty much, yeah, we're done. We're all done. And, uh, and um, I was pretty much – said that I had said, yeah, it's pretty much my last year. I don't think I'm going to play anymore. I'd been to, been to, you know, San Jose, uh, New Jersey to LA three teams in three years. You got kids in school. It's very difficult on that part. Um, I said I was done and I get a phone call in August, um, from Vancouver saying they want to sign you. And my agent called me, Vancouver wants to sign you. I went, what? <laughs> <It's August."> <laughs> <laughs> come I said, on I one month to get there okay so oh yeah okay well it's my hometown always wanted to play there i grew up watching the canucks and 
um, yeah, that should, that could be fun. And, uh, it, it, I went to camp. I wasn't in the greatest shape because I didn't know I was going to play. So, uh, Mark Crawford was a the coach there and kind of got on me a bit. And I said, Hey, just calm down. I'll be fine. I know how to play. It'd be, it'd be all right. And the game was easy for these guys and the team wasn't as that great. And, um, we're lacking on D and, and Messier was here and, uh, Brad May was here too at the time. And, uh, yeah, so we weren't very good, and then I just got scratched a couple of times, and I said I can't do this anymore. Yeah, when your heart when your heart goes out of it, you can't do it anymore. I thought I could try, and I did it, and I probably should have had a better attitude and pushed myself a little more. But in my head, I was done. So, no, yeah. that's that's completely that understandable. That was it. I just got my furniture closer to my home. <laughs> there you go see silver lining Doug there's always something in the deal there's always something there there you go so with, with you being such an active member of uh the Canucks alumni uh association do you ever keep in touch with any of your uh former Sabres teammates at all yeah I see Brad May comes out here quite a bit actually oh uh, does he quite, yeah he because he's playing Vancouver too so of course he's out here quite a bit um uh, who else have I seen around? Uh, I haven't seen many guys around. Um, um, I know Johnny Tucker was in uh, with Tampa with Dave Anderchuk, and uh, I don't know Wayne Rolson was coaching with me, Victoria, and he said he ran into him and asked how you're doing. But yeah, not many guys from the from the Buffalo era that I can think of, and everybody goes their different ways, and it's really hard. Uh, I was obviously pretty close with Dale Howardchuk. We did the old timers crew together, and uh, I was in contact with him quite a bit. And, and, uh, you know, sad we lost him and uh, still hurts today, but um, great guy and a good player. Um, yeah, I can't think of anybody else that's around here. I ran into Mike Ramsey in Minnesota. I was in, at a game watching oh. my friend friend's kid play and I ran right into him. I go, hey, Mike Ramsey, how you doing? <laughs> Come on. Goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. We got to get His you back was... to Buffalo then for some alumni events. Yeah, I know. I came a few years ago. They've been asking me. I was trying to get there for the, one of the hockey events, but I had something else going on. But um, I'm talking to uh, Shan. He's asked me a few times the golf tournament and we'll get there one day. I, oh, I was there two years ago for the coming back of the uh, 90s. Yep. For oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. I was there. For, that was great. It was great to see everybody again. Grant Ledyard and Jamie Hannon and missed my friend Yuri Himalov. I think he was out of town and I missed him. Mm. Schmelnick. I saw Schmeller there. And, you know, uh, it was pretty pretty good to see everybody there. It was pretty uh, pretty good uh, time. And me and Pierre Turgeon did an autograph session together. So I haven't seen him in a long time either. So oh, great. Those are always pretty fun for us and uh, to get together. We just did a thing for hockey day in canada and victoria and a bunch of guys came in so it's pretty fun to see everybody again and uh, the exa played kelly rudy and ron mclean and that was so much fun again to get together with guys and, and chat and wendell clark who we used to dread playing against but uh <laughs> so it was all, all fun to see all those guys again it's just all good oh i love it that's great uh so one other thing i wanted to mention recently i just thought of this now but a lot of former Sabres weighed in on this. Uh, unfortunately, over this past summer, Rick Jenneret died. You know, obviously, mm. Sabres announcer for 50-plus years. And uh, because of that, it overlapped with your entire time there. So did you have any memories of Rick or uh, any moments that stand out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Went, it's super great guy, Rick. He's always on the road all the time. I love going to Florida, wearing his shorts with his suspenders. <laughs> we always call him the Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> <laughs> What a super good guy. Yeah, it's always good to hear his voice. The, of course, the May Day goal was, was big in that when we beat Buffalo. The winning timing that was. 
it's so good. And, and uh, you know, La 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 Fontaine was always the favorite he brought in. And uh, Rick was always there. He's a great announcer. And so sad he retires, and then that's that's it. You know, it's yes. yeah. very bad. I don't know if he knew it or not, but um, sad to lose him. I hear. I always get to hear Rob Ray's voice on the TV. I go, oh, I know that voice there. <laughs> Somebody should tie stick him in between the benches there, maybe. Yeah, hey, he took a puck. There's a talker. Talker. actually earlier this year. He took a puck. Yeah, I saw that. I did see that, actually. Crazy. Uh, oh, speaking yeah, of former teammates, is that someone you thought you would ever see on TV? Rob Ray? Oh, yeah, yeah. For, well, no, yeah, but he's always talking. Like, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> he's a yapper on the bench the whole time, you know. He's yapping at the other team because he was just sitting there. Him and Barnaby, of course. Now, yeah. Barnaby's doing talk doing somebody I seen him on TV the other day. But, yeah, I didn't think Rob would be a TV guy, but maybe radio because he's not the cutest guy. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. But he's doing a great job. No, he's he's good. He's good at it. I you know, get the feed once in a while. I can hear him. And that's so good. No, great to hear Rick the last couple of years, too. And, and him and Rob seem to get along pretty good together. And definitely yeah oh good yeah Perfect. that's great well doug we just cannot begin to tell you how much we appreciate getting the chance to chat with you here let's uh let's make sure that there's not as much of a gap next time we talk as there's been between the last time to now yeah anytime guys i'm, I'm available anytime for you guys for sure amazing we appreciate it so much doug love my time in buffalo and i met some great people there still talk to my neighbors and uh uh, I don't miss the cold, but that's some cold <laughs> weather. We've had some cold weather here lately, so I don't know what's going I was gonna on. You say you're in Vancouver. I don't well, know. I know. We got. <laughs> I know it. It never used to snow here. I don't know what's going on the last two years. We got a couple. Of <laughs> Not good. Oh, they don't know how to man. drive here in that snow. So. Hey, same here. We we get yeah. the time, and they still don't know. <laughs> no, I love my time there, and I just I'm hoping for them. I'm always cheering for the Sabers to, to to get in there, and hopefully it'll happen. Well, we appreciate it. We'll be uh, we'll be pulling for the Canucks as our Western Conference team. Then. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah. No, thank you so much, though, Doug. We we be, yeah. can't begin to tell you how much we appreciate hearing your insight, getting to hear some of your stories, and we look forward to having you back on very soon. Yeah, got a lot more stories. Let me know. <laughs> All right. Absolutely, everybody. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites and whatever streaming platform you're using to listen to this episode, check out all of our fellow shows and make sure you're following the Charging Buffalo and Hockey Podcast Network on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And of course, while you are listening to this episode or before you close out of the app, make sure you are either following or subscribe to us and leave us a nice rating or review. Last but not least, we have our great sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Use that promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, but hope everybody has a great weekend in the meantime. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.